Musician Podcast with creator and host Nomad. With 20 plus years of experience in the music industry, Nomad has done just about everything to earn a living as a career musician. From being music director to celebrity artists, playing iconic arenas and stadiums, composing for film and TV, and even playing your average local club gigs, he's done it all. Nomad's mission is to empower musicians across the globe with strategies for a sustainable career while blasting stereotypes, and to bring you tried and true wisdom from his colleagues in this crazy business we call music. Welcome to another episode of the Career Musician Podcast with legend career musician Danny Korchmar, or Cooch as they call him in the biz. He is another one of my heroes, guitarist, producer, composer, songwriter, artist extraordinaire, frontman of the immediate family band with all of the cats and a list of credits that literally reads like a who's who list. Linda Rodstadt, James Taylor, David Crosby, Carol King, David Cassidy, Graham Nash, Neil Young, Carly Simon, Jackson Brown, and Don Henley, just to name a few. Check out what the cooch has to tell us right here on The Career Musician. And do you prefer cooch or Danny or... Cooch is fine. Hey, you is fine. Um, <laughs> whatever, you, whatever you feel like, brother. It's awesome. Totally, uh, awesome. Well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you to Lisa Roy and Jack Pyatt. They're the ones that connected us. Right. Yeah. So, great, really great people. Both of them. Absolutely. And Jack t- tells me to, to say hi to you. Right. Uh, and, really good fella. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Amazing cat. Amazing cat. And uh, I also know that you're a New York boy. I'm from Long Island, born and raised. Uh-huh. So no. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I'm from Westchester. Westchester. Mostly in Westchester, yeah. Nice. And you've been out in L.A. for quite some time. I have, yeah. I'm going back and forth. I got to L.A. in like 68, 69 or something. I was there for about 20 years. Then moved back to, to the East Coast because uh, I really missed it. I was there for uh, about 20 years. And then now I'm back here again in uh, Marina Del Rey in California. Nice. Isn't that a trip how we miss the East Coast sometimes? You, just, you have to get oh, your fix, right? Oh, absolutely. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. Nothing. I was born in New York City and there's nothing like it. There never will be anything like it for me. Man, I couldn't agree more. And especially in the era that you you came up, man, that was a, a golden era of culture and music and everything, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. All hell was breaking loose culturally in New York. It was incredible you know, on, on multiple levels. So yeah, I was very lucky to have grown up there and been uh, part of all of it or subjected to it, immersed in it as it were. Absolutely, man, man. So, you know, I'm, you hear this all the time. I've looked up to you for years and all your, uh, you know, cronies. I respect what you do. This podcast by name, the Career Musician Podcast, I like mm-hmm. to focus on talking about 
you know, how cats actually carved out a career for themselves. How did they make a living? Because, you know, we all know the stigma. There's old, there's all kinds of stigmas about musicians, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming that you've heard it and seen it all. But, you know, some people don't realize that, man, you can make a serious career out of this, like yourself. And, uh, you know, of course, now the business has changed. So, you know, just that's, that's kind of the approach I want to take with the discussion, you know, if okay. that's okay. Sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So when did you know that you had to do music and you had to do music for a living? Uh, always. So far back as I can remember. By the time I was um, 12 or 13, I was totally immersed in playing the guitar. That's all I wanted to do. But I never thought about making a living or not making a living. I just, that was what I was going to do. That was it. And one way or the other. You know, come hell or high water. And, and that's what happened. Just followed it with dogged determination. I love that. I love that. And some of your earliest influences... Perhaps well, via the radio or television or records? Well, all of it. You know, uh, music was, there was so much going on. I started off, uh, I got really interested in, well, first of all, rock and roll, of course, you know. That was the first time I was eight or nine years old. Rock and roll hit the airwaves, and that was it for me. That was it. Elvis and Fats Domino, Little Richard, I loved them and wanted to be them. I mean, that was it for me. Um, but the next, then there was, um, uh, the, the, there was a big folk boom, as you know, uh, in New York, or centered around Greenwich Village in New York. But uh, I was really into um, into blues, especially Light and Hopkins and Muddy Waters uh, and them fellers. Uh, and I, I loved that stuff. Light and mostly played acoustic. Um, so, and that's what I, I tried to imitate Light and Hopkins' guitar grade. It was pretty ridiculous. From this little Jew boy from, from uh, Marchmont, New York, trying to be Light and Hopkins, pretty funny, right? But I loved it. But I tell you, you know, I loved, it was great. Yeah. And uh, I wanted to, you know, it just it spoke to me. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. that was one of my first times with Muddy Waters, definitely. I also listened to a lot of jazz, although I don't play jazz. I listen to a lot of jazz, especially Blue Note records. I like the funkier side of things. Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, Bobby Timmons, Cannibal Adderley, that kind of stuff. I loved it, that stuff. And that it did influence me, but not. But I'm, I'm not a jazz musician. Yeah. Right. Right. But no, you can hear all those influences in your playing, man. I mean, mm-hmm. you, you, like I say, I call, I call you a cat. You're one of the cats, man. You, you, you're shredding, man. I love it. I love it. So, so check this out. So Westchester, I'm trying to, for the listeners who don't know about New York, right? Mm-hmm. Westchester is mm-hmm. on the Upper West Side of the city. Westchester County is, is uh, the first suburb outside of Manhattan. Okay. If you go past the Bronx, you get into Westchester County. Right. And parts of it are very um, upscale and, and rich, and well, parts of it are middle class at the time, and parts of it are working class, so like everywhere else, you know. So were you going down to the village, to, you know, to, to cut your teeth, so to speak? Constantly, all the time. So I was going to the village uh, where I lived. It was about a 20-minute train ride to Manhattan. Okay. And I, I went there every chance I got. I was taking guitar lessons in New York, so I was there once or twice a week anyway to do that. And then on weekends, me and my buddies would go down either to the village or we went to the Apollo Theater a lot. And I saw everyone at the Apollo Theater. You can ever imagine all those great soul acts. And I loved that stuff. I'm utterly and completely, yeah. And that was a big influence on me. Those shows and that music was a big, big influence on me then and now. That's so awesome. I, I totally agree. So when you were checking out these albums and listening to Lightning Hopkins or Muddy Waters, were you actually sitting down with your guitar in hand and transcribing the parts by ear, like learning each part? Or were you just vibing to it? More, you know, I was more more vibing to it. I okay. was never the kind of fellow that would go out and learn other people's tunes. I was interested in writing my own tunes, pretty much consistently, you know. And, and that was what I stuck with, you know. I love that. Uh, 
So I'd, I'd grab bits and pieces here, here and there, whatever I heard that I liked. But I, I never really learned, mastered something. I, for instance, I never learned any Beatles songs, ridiculous though that might sound. Even though I loved them, um, I wanted to write songs like that, but I, didn't, I, I wasn't drawn to learning their songs. I was just, like I said, I was influenced by bits and pieces of their songs, you know, like everyone, like oh. Man, I believe that is so important because I see a lot of people now, especially on social media, imitating the greats, and that's fantastic. But I'm, I'm much from the same cloth as you where I never learned the exact parts verbatim. I just like the vibe and then put it into your arsenal and you want to make your own voice, right? That's the idea, yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I love that approach, man. Yeah. That is so cool. it's, you know, everyone has different ways of doing things. And, you know, mine was just, I really wanted to... Uh, grab bits and pieces of everything, and then write my own tunes. I was really interested in writing songs, you know, writing my own songs. Right. When did you start writing? Uh, probably when I was 15 or 16. Okay. They really stunk, too, for a long time. <laughs> so most of the early ones are just terrible. But I got better at it. Let's put it that way. Right, right. Well, that's usually the case, right? It just, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's a process. Right. Man. Okay. So, all right. So you're in New York. You're cutting your teeth on all these records. You're being influenced. You're going down this city to check everybody out. Right. When did you start gigging? Uh, I mean, I know it's hard to pinpoint like, oh, when was your first real, you know, when did you really get into the scene as a working musician? Well, I'll tell you, you know, when I was in high school, like, like everyone else, I was in, you know, little bands that used to play little gigs on weekends and stuff like that. That doesn't really count. After I graduated high school, I had a, um, a brief job in, uh, in a mailroom, the mailroom of a, uh, an advertising place. And that taught me after three months, I knew exactly that I was going to definitely going to be a musician, you know, and put everything I had into it. There's no way I was going to make it in the corporate world. So I started a band. The band was called the King Bees. Sound like about 19 years old. And we immediately started getting gigs. Uh, New York was wide open at the time. There were a lot of clubs, an awful lot of clubs, uptown, downtown, midtown, everywhere. And we played all of them. Now we played everywhere. The King Bees were kind of um, a rock and soul, I guess you'd describe. You know, played a lot of soul covers. And a lot of rock, you know, rock and roll as well. Loved it. It was great. We had a lot of fun and we were good. I love that. I love that. So was this before Flying Machine then? Yeah, this is the band before Flying Machine. Okay. So that, that, the King Beast was the first job I had, you know. And when we make, if we make, one of the gigs we had was at a joint called Arthur, which is a big time uh, discotheque at the time, 1968 or 67, 68 in New York. Everyone went there. All the, all the glitterati went there. It was a big deal. Around, um, yeah, and uh, um, at that gig, I think we made like 150 bucks each a week. That's big money, but I was rolling in dough, man. I was thrilled to death. That was like a fortune at the time. Remember, that'd go a long way. You could get anything you want, you could eat, eat wherever you want, you take care of it, you, could, you know, you could do whatever you wanted. Yeah, it didn't last that long, it only lasted a few months, but yeah. then, then with the next gig we had after that, a lot less, but right for that, for that brief period, <laughs> you know. We were sitting on top of the world, yeah. Isn't that a trip about musicians? We could go literally from nothing to be, like you said, sitting on top of the world. And it takes a couple times of that happening, that cycle, for us to realize, okay, you know, now we appreciate it and we know how to manage it better, right? When, yeah. That's right, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> right, exactly. And you learn how to do it better. But the first thing you learn is that, you know, it's a roller coaster ride. It goes up and down and up and down and up and down. You are never going to be, you're never going to stay where you are. In, in music, you, you'll be popular. You'll be wonderful. Everyone will want you. What's that old joke? Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can get it right. Um, who's cooch? Get me cooch. Get me a cooch sound alike. Get me a young cooch. Who's cooch? 
<laughs> that is so awesome. And I'm so glad you brought this up. I, this is great that people need to hear that we all have faced these struggles. It is a huge roller coaster. And being uh, creative beings, we're already very emotional, right? Because we're mm-hmm. tapped into that sixth sense, if you will. Right. What, what is some of the like, advice that you can shed some light on that? How do you deal with the ups and downs? Well, you know, how do you deal with the ups and downs in life? You know, how, how are we dealing with the, the ups and downs that are happening right now with the virus? You know, right. this is life. This is life. You better learn to deal with it or you're never going to be successful in anything. That's the right. thing is that life does, isn't, it isn't on one plane. It, it's not, uh, it doesn't stay the same. It goes up, it goes down. People are born, people die. You get a gig, you lose a gig. And, you, and, you know, the thing, you just have to learn to adapt and to, to overcome uh, adversarial situations, to improvise, to get through things, find a way, find That's a way right. through it, you know? Because right. it's not, not gonna be easy. It's gonna, there's gonna be tough times, and I don't care what you do, that, that goes for everybody, no matter what, you're, you know, what, what your following is, what path you follow. Yeah, I so agree with that. Yeah. So at, at, at what point did you realize, okay, even when the going gets tough, and have you ever felt like, and you maybe you feel like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. This is crazy. What's is there a moment where the light bulb goes off? No, no, no. I'm going to do this, or I'm going to reinvent myself this way, or I'm going to switch lanes and go over here because. And the reason why I ask is because you're multifaceted. Obviously, you know, guitar player, session cat, producer, songwriter, etc. Uh, well, yeah, but that all is within the realm of music. I n- right. It never ever occurred to me to not do music and to find something to do. That's all I'm good at. The only thing I'm good at is the only thing I could do. And it's the only thing I want to do. I don't have a plan B. I never did. You know, this was it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing about it is, you know, as you, as you know, I've been doing this a long time, 50 plus years. It's not going to all be great for all 50 plus years. You did. There's going to be ups and downs in their work. And, uh, but I had plenty of ups and incredible great things that have happened in my career that I'm thrilled about. You know. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. 
Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that transparency because again, everybody needs to hear that there are ups and there are downs and those downs, sometimes you just got to get through them. Like you say, that's part of life. So mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate that, you know, vulnerability 50 plus years is amazing. Let's mm-hmm. talk about, I mean, look, I, again, resume and credits, everybody can Google you and all of it's going to pop up, you know, James Taylor, Carol King, Don Henley, all this stuff. But again, I'm kind of focused more on, you know, the career aspect of what it takes to do this for the long haul without a plan B. I'm, I'm the same way. I've never had a plan B. So, you know, if you don't mind, if we can dig into some of the things when you did go on tour, what were some of the essentials that you said, you know what, this is my second tour, my third tour. I got the shit down now. This is what I need to do. This is how I have to, you know. Well, I don't know. I was, you know, it was a learning process. But uh, before I ever hit the big time stage with James Taylor, when he hit, we, you know, we all went on the road and started playing for big audiences. And that was that was the first experience I had there. But I'd already, like I told you, I've been in these, I've been in bar bands. I've been in front of audiences for years before that. And uh, the time I feel the most comfortable is holding a guitar playing with the band, you know, uh, but, you know, if you're asking me for, <laughs> are you asking me for what advice I would give, uh, musicians? Yeah. Uh, well, when the touring life comes back, like you said, with COVID, but, uh, especially the young cats starting out, you know, when you go on tour, cause I know there's a lot of temptation to go party and go crazy, but at the end of the day, it's a business and you have to maintain, right? That's right. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, uh, you gotta be able to get along with the people you're with. Absolutely. You gotta, you gotta be helpful. In, in your playing, the parts you choose to play, they have to help the singer, the drummer, and the other musicians. People want to be glad to see you, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, so I would say, you know, if you just show up and you start shredding and pounding with, nobody's going to dig that, man. Nobody, nobody gives a shit about that stuff, man. Or very few people do. You know, you go on YouTube and these guys doing what, what, what David Letterman used to call stupid pet tricks. These <laughs> are stupid guitar tricks. Who cares? You got to learn how to play a song, you know? Right. No one's going to hire you to, to, to shred. You got to be able to play a song and back play with other people, and they and you, they have to be glad to see you coming. You can't be like, oh god, this guy, oh, he's gonna blast away too loud for twenty minutes, going wheelie wheelie wheelie. And I'm supposed to back him up. No one's gonna want to go near you. Man. Learn how to play a song. Learn how to make the drummer happy. That's you know? right. And, and it's pretty obvious stuff like that. Yeah. You know, and you have to learn how to get hands. along with people. Learn how yeah. to get along with people. Like I said, they should be glad to see it. They shouldn't run from you. You know. Right. Do everything you can do to be that, you know, right. And be prepared, whatever the, your gig is prepare, you know, on that. But again, this is all obvious stuff, man. I, you know, everybody yeah. knows. I, I think, I think a lot of it is obvious. I, I agree. I think, uh, especially it's easy perhaps for guys like us to say that because we've been through it. I think a lot of the younger generations maybe need to hear it, you know, especially from somebody of your stature. So I, mm-hmm. you know, that's why I kind of like, you know, reiterating this stuff, if you will, you know, right. Um, but you know, like you said, good hang, be prepared, learn the music, right. Right. You mm-hmm. know, make, make the other people on the bandstand look good and feel good about what you're playing. Yeah. Even if you're jamming with your neighbors, even if you're jamming with some kids in your neighborhood, yeah. listen to what they're doing. Don't listen to yourself. Listen to what they're doing and, and find a way to fit in and make it groove. That way they'll be glad to see you, you know, right. because you will help. It'll be, everything will get better, you know, because you're in the groove, you know. They call it, some people call it rhythm guitar. It's just playing parts, it's just playing music, you know. Uh, everything you play is not a solo. You gotta be able to play the whole guitar, you know. And so, uh, true. That's, so that's what I would say. Of course, things are so different now than when I was coming up, as right. well you know. So it's a very, very different ball game. It's a very tough situation now for young musicians. 
Yeah. I mean, you ask you ask Luke, you know, what he thinks, you know, what his advice would be. He'd say, quit, you know, find another job because you're not going to make any money doing this, you know. And he's one of the greatest ever. Steve Luke. Right. Yeah, Steve Luke. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And so, you know, I hate to say this because uh, my father didn't want me to be, be a musician. He did everything he could do to discourage me because it didn't look like there was any future in it. This was before the Beatles. You know, musician, that's like waiter or something, you know. It's a, it's a blue collar job, but, um, you know, I had to do it. I wanted to do it. And, uh, what I would say now though, it's incredibly difficult to make money playing music because the session work has died down tremendously because of home studios. As you know, the way records are being cut now, pop records are made piecemeal one guy at a time, one thing at a time, mostly on a computer. Yep. Uh, so, uh, uh, I mean, how many rock, how many rock and roll bands are there? You know, like, what, five. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. yeah. Who are quote unquote successful on a large scale. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I would have to say one of them, one of the very best ones in the United States of America is my band, Immediate Family. That's me, Wadi Wachtel, Russ Kunkel, Lee Sklar, and then Steve Postel. And we're, we are a real deal rock and roll band. Yes, you are. I love watching the videos, man, and listening to the tunes. So mm -hmm. I'm interviewing Wadi tomorrow. Uh, and Lisa Roy hooked us all up, and I'm so Great. grateful. Man, please talk about it. It's so exciting and how you guys put this together. And, you know, obviously you've all been working together for, for so long, and yeah. you, know, you know each other's vibe, right? I mean, it's just hand oh, yeah. in glove. Absolutely. We've all played together for so many years, so long, that uh, it's like falling off a lot. We, you know, you get that, that uh, telepathy going when you really know someone, what they're likely to do and where things are likely to go. Uh, and, and at that point, it becomes just not just easy, but a blessing to play with guys that, where you really it's just like falling off a log and just so easy and so on the on the money. Were, yeah. were you guys doing this all along during sound checks and vibing with other artists? It, it just kind of organically grew. Well, we we uh, came up uh, sort of about being at the right place at the right time. Uh, we we came up to, all together uh, largely due to Peter Asher. Peter put us all together, and Peter's one of the greatest producers ever, and an incredibly bright and uh, groovy cat, you know, who was one of my best friends. And he put us all together, and uh, we owe him an incredible debt of, of gratitude. And he also, um, like Sweet Baby James, him and and, uh, uh, and Lou Adler, Carol's, Carol's producer, those guys put our names on the records. Mm -hmm. Now, previous to that, guys like the Wrecking Crew, the great uh, Wrecking Crew, their names weren't on those records. So uh, no, they never really got, you know, they never really got the recognition that they should have gotten. And uh, uh, but with us, we got recognition right away. Then they knew no, they knew who to call. Producers knew who to call to get that sound, which at the time was popular. Now it's called singer songwriter. It didn't have a name back then. It was just playing a record. Just musicians, yeah, yeah. Were you guys always? Did you always just say like session cats, or, or was that not even a thing either? I guess so. You know. I mean, we didn't call ourselves anything. Other yeah. people, I don't know what other people call us. They'd have to ask them. But, you, yeah. know, we were, uh, you know, we had a lot of names, various names uh, as we came up. But the uh, California sound and all this stuff, you know. But like I said, I'm from New York. None of us are originally from California. So, But the sound was developed, certainly, in Southern California. Yes, that's where we all came together. And that's where all the recording took place. And uh, L.A. was just busting wide open when I, when I got here in 1968. It was just all hell was breaking. It was great. So kind of like Manhattan previous to that. Uh, wow. And uh, there were sessions everywhere. The musicians, all the musicians knew each other. Everyone was a pal. 
Everyone was having a, a ball, you know, and everyone was very friendly and, and helpful. Everyone. Really? I love that camaraderie that doesn't exist today. No. Wow. Well, the session scene is, is not nothing like it was. There's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of recording studios. And, uh, you know, that it was just going on 24-7. But now there's, you know, very few, as you know, most of them have shut down. You know, there, maybe there's like 10% of recording studios that, that were in existence. Um, and I said largely because, you know, we all used to get in the studio together. The five, four or five of us would get in there and we'd all play together. Yeah. And that's how we made records, you know. Now it's all done piecemeal. A lot of these records, if you look on, there's like seven producers, there's 10 writers. It's, you know, that wasn't the case back then. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Certainly or not. Well, you know, it's funny because I've heard, uh, I heard you say that in a couple other interviews, how it's uh, records are made by committee nowadays. Yeah. And I got to say, I agree with you. I don't like that approach. I prefer, you know, the heartfelt, just a couple of people vibing together and making the music. Um, well, it's a sound. That's a sound, you know, a yeah. sound under a sound. It's a sound that can't be duplicated uh, when, when everything is whacked to the grid on Pro Tools and completely lined up so it's all perfect. Well, perfect is not, you know, perfect is not the, the essence of, of great music. It never has been. There's no perfect, you know. So uh, especially not in pop music or rock and roll. You know, perfect is when it gets you, when it moves you, when it, when, it gets, when it gets to your soul. That's perfect. Everything else is up for grabs. So true. And that humanity is very important to me and to us to hear on a record, to hear there's actual people involved really digging in and playing with soul. So, so true. So true, man. Okay. So now, nowadays you have a little home studio or you have a big home studio or what do you, what kind of space are you working in? Well, I'm working up on the uh, uh, logic and I'm just, just getting to know it. Uh, okay. Before that I had pro tools at home and I was never a master of pro tools. Yeah. But, uh, I knew how to work it well enough to put my stuff down. But um, I've gone over to Logic. Logic is more friendly for songwriting, which is what I'm using it for. I'm not using it to make masters. You know, gotcha. I want to make masters. I get with my band and we go and we record. You know? I was say, then you go cut for real, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not that interested in creating. You can on Logic. Logic. You can do anything you want on Logic. Absolutely. And we'll see how good I get at it, and we'll see how far I can take it. But uh, yeah. basically, I'm using it to as a tool for to uh, write songs. You're listening to the Career Musician Podcast with your host, Nomad. Binge previous seasons of the Career Musician Podcast and subscribe for all new episodes. So if you don't mind, so rewinding a little bit, you came out to, so you started in bands, cutting your teeth on the East Coast, New York. And I truly, I, I agree with you. That's the best way, I believe, to really build your skill set. Be out there in the clubs every night, and understanding the whole, you know, interaction. And then you came out here, uh, like you said, in 68, were you coming out still as a band guy or were you coming out to back up artists? Uh, when I came out here, actually, I, I, had, uh, I had been uh, offered a gig by a band called Clear Light. They, uh, they and their dark, the original guitar player parted ways. They made one album for Electro. I wasn't on it. And they were kind of supposed to be the follow-up to The Doors, which they never were, but uh, they never reached that, that level. They're good cats. They're great guys. I like them. And uh, I was, uh, I went to audition and was offered the gig to, uh, to be the guitar player with Clear Light. That lasted about six months, but it brought me out to L.A., got me out to L.A. Okay. Around that same time, Carol moved out there. Carol King moved out there. My buddy Charlie Larkey moved out there. 
Right. Uh, you know, so uh, suddenly, you know, everyone was on their way out there. Peter Escher was, you know, was, was headed in that direction and was in LA pretty quick. So uh, that's, that's what got me. Yeah. yeah, that's what, that's what got me out to. That's beautiful. And then, I mean, you became one, like I said, one of the session cats on guitar and you had a, you have a beautiful resume doing that. But then of course you're a producer and a writer. So tell us about the evolution. Did it start as a sideman for bands, then evolve into a session guy and then producer writer, or was it all at the same time? Well, you know, I started, uh, uh, you know, the, the major part of my career was as, uh, was uh, a touring music sideman, touring musician, was touring with James. Okay. Right. And, uh, and Russ and Lee and I were uh, out with James all the time. Yeah. So uh, we were doing that. Um, and then we put those kind of, those, those albums that we did, they were more like projects. They weren't like, you know, I was never the kind of guy, I got to do a 10 to 1 or a 2 to 5 and a 6 and just, okay. just put it in my book and go, I didn't care what it was, it's a gig. I was never that guy. I'm not putting those fellas down. I'm yeah. just saying that what I wanted to be, I wanted to involve, be involved in projects. You know, mm-hmm. my heroes were the Stax Vault guys and Motown guys. The idea that they'd go get together, the same cats would get together and, and play great songs. But just running around playing sessions, let me tell you, you talk to anybody that does a lot of sessions, most of it is pretty boring. Most of it's yeah. not that great. You know? <laughs> it can get, it can drive you a little stir crazy yeah. after a while. Right. Yeah. And uh, most of it is, you know, like I said, real session cast will take any gig that comes along for the, if they'll pay them what they want. They don't even care what the music is. And they'll just go and they'll do it and they'll do it great. Sure. But uh, I was more interested in, in uh, doing projects. I wanted to work with all the great talented people that I was, that were around at the time. You know, Carol, of course, is there. James uh, did his records in L.A. Uh, with Peter. And, uh, um, you know, uh, just a ton of other people. Was on the set. Even if you stopped at Carol and James, that what an amazing experience. And I've heard you say in other interviews, you know, when you're working with them, it's like going to music college, but in a in a real life sense, you know, you learn so much, right? Yeah, right. Well, you know, obviously, Carol King, you know, she's a genius. And uh, yeah. she's, she's a brilliant songwriter, of course, but she's also a great arranger and great producer. And so I learned how to play on records from playing on her demos. I, she used to call me to play on all her demos um, that uh, she and Jerry Goffin wrote. Or, uh, and uh, that's how I learned to play on records, was you know, from her, basically. And she wouldn't say, she wouldn't tell me what to do. She was there because she liked the way I played anyway. But she would guide me subtly in, in various directions. And I learned just a tremendous amount from her. And also from Peter Asher and Lou Adler. I mean, I, I was amazingly lucky that I fell in with these people. Because like I said, you know, like I said in other interviews, you know, it's like going to Harvard, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the only way you learn this stuff is by doing it. That's right. By diving in head, feet first, everything, right? Just going. Right. So, so let's talk about relationships. You just mentioned it, that you were very fortunate to, to fall in with these people. Um, a lot of times uh, cultivating relationships can be challenging uh, and then maintaining relationships over time. Mm-hmm. I like, I would like to think that relationships as it pertains to our work uh, don't need to be tended to, but sometimes they do. It's kind of like you have to, you know, feed the, 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 fl- the fuel, the fire a little bit. Talk right. about that, you know, and then once you got in with certain people, how did you expand the network and so forth? And, you know, well, you know, if you're a musician, largely you, you're, you hang out with the people you're playing music with and that can change, you know, a guy like Leland, for instance, uh, I mean, you know, he's one of my best friends and, and all of us in the band are his best friend. But he also is very close friends with the, the Phil Collins band, who was toured with for many years. So 
whoever you're hanging, you know, whoever you're playing music with, those become your pals. It's like, you know, I guess it's like making a, a movie. Everyone hangs out together all the time. They get really close. But then when the movie ends, they kind of go their separate ways. That doesn't mean they don't love each other anymore. It just means you got to go where the work is and where the next gig is and where the next music is, you know? Right. But I've managed to maintain close friendships with everyone I work with coming up. James and Carol, certainly the boys in my band, certainly, uh, uh, Jackson, the other people, you know, other great songwriters that I come in contact with. And I love them all, you know, and they probably love me, but even if I don't talk to them for several years, there's no hard feelings. There's no like, Hey, fuck that guy. You know, none of that. Uh, it's all, you know, we spent too much time together to have an attitude about each other. You know? That's right. Accept each other, you know, that's right. So, okay, let's talk about, uh, first of all, our good friend, like we mentioned earlier, Jack Pyatt, uh, in- introduced us all through Lisa Roy. Now, Jack is working on a film with you guys. Uh, talk about that a little bit and the immediate family and how it pertains. Right. Well, you know, uh, as we mentioned before, uh, the Wrecking Crew never really got any recognition until Denny Tedesco made the uh, terrific documentary that he made. That's so right. Denny is now doing this film on us. He's, uh, he's directing this picture. Jack's one of the producers. And uh, uh, we're very different than the Wrecking Crew, as I said, but because we're, we're playing, we play gigs, we, you know, we're already playing rock and roll. Those guys never toured, you know, they couldn't, they, they were terrified of leaving town for fear of losing gigs, you know, that's it the way it was. Session calls, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Also those guys, a lot of those guys, most of them were jazz musicians. Mm. Uh, we're not jazz musicians, we're rock and roll musicians. That's all we want to play, so. We're not unhappy. We're not doing something. Jesus, I wish, you know, I'm so sick of this shit. You know, we never had that answer because we love it. That's what we like. You know? um, so it was, uh, you know, that kind of an attitude. So with us, the, it is a hell of a story because um, of how long we've known each other and been together. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that we started I mean, 50 years, man. We've been playing together for 50 years, you know, more. And uh, now here we are still playing together in a band. So it's an incredible thing, just extraordinary. And that's what's going to be covered in this film uh, is, is our journey, you know, separately and individually and, and collectively, of course. I love that. So yeah. the, the film is going to be the deeper dive. This, this is great. Uh, anybody <laughs> listening to this podcast, uh, I think the podcast will be coming out around the same time as your new single, as your new album or new single for the immediate well, family? We have an album. We made an album, very good album, by the way. Okay. And, uh, it's coming out, I think, in June in Japan. So it's on two different labels. It's on a Japanese label, and that, that's all of Asia. That's called Vivid. And then for the, uh, for the United States and the rest of the world, it's a label called Quarto Valley. And that's going to come out in the fall. That album's going to come out in the fall. Okay. We have a single, they're releasing a single of ours uh, in, in uh, next month, I guess. You know? So uh, that's right. coming but the album isn't going to come out to the full. They wanted to try to coordinate everything so the, the documentary would come out at the same time as the album, which would have been a hell of a thing. Yeah. But of course, because of Corona, that's all um, on hold now. Right. And whatever touring plans you guys had are on hold indefinitely, uh, I'm guessing. Like everybody else. Yeah. yeah. Right. As soon, as soon as we can. Yeah, we definitely want. We love playing live. And, you know, I want to get back on it, but uh, it's impossible right now and probably will be for a, a while. Now, in the band, do you do most of the writing or do you guys write together as a collective, as a band? Well, you know, um, sometimes we do. We don't write collectively as a band, but, you know, we get together. I write a lot with Wad, with Waddy, right. and with Postel, too. You know, Waddy and I, Steve, get together, three guitar players. 
we get together and come up with material. But I also write at home. I'm all, always coming up with ideas, always writing my songs, you know. Of course. Bits and pieces of stuff, putting stuff together, throwing it out, starting over again. You know, uh, sometimes I'll write half of a song or more than half a song, I'll get stuck and I'll call Watt. Right. And I'll say, you know, come over here, you gotta, you gotta help me finish this thing. And he'll come over and he will, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, he knows, He knows. you know, Watt is an incredibly great partner, you know, for me and me for him. And we work very well together, guitar-wise, song-wise, songwriting-wise. So it's a lot of fun. That's a beautiful thing when you can find a symbiotic relationship like that, right? Yeah, sure is. Yeah. You know, but I also write with Russell. Russell's a good lyricist. His are good tunes. Okay. Leland doesn't write songs at all. Okay. Uh, he only plays the bass. <laughs> but right. with him, oh. that's, that's, that's plenty. You know? <laughs> they <would> say, yeah. <laughs> He's one of the best ever. Ever. I mean, very, ever. You know? Absolutely. There's no one any better than Lee Sklar on bass. Man. No it's so true. But with all you guys, I, I love the passion and, and I love being able to see you guys play as, you know, with YouTube. It's really cool because not only can you hear it, you can see it. And the fact you guys are all just gleaning and with, with joy and, and it's awesome. I love watching yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, it was tremendous fun. We love it. We love each other. And we love playing the music. Yeah. The songs are very, very good. You know, yeah. uh, I, I introduce us live. When we go to play live, I always introduce us. I say, we're a, um, a cover band that plays all original material. I love that. I saw that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. Because, I, you know, I, I do a lot of the tunes that uh, I wrote with Henley, wrote for and with Henley. I do tunes that I wrote for and with Jackson. Uh, I wrote tunes that, that I wrote for that, that James Taylor recorded. But we do them in our own way. You know, right. we got, you know, the stuff I wrote with Don, that's a lot of that is synth. A lot of it's written on, on synthesizer. Because uh, that, was, that was the golden, you know, the beginning of synthesizer. That's and, the era, uh, yeah. I sat at home, stayed up all night, banging away and then things and having a ball. And um, so obviously there's no keyboards in our band. So we translated them, all those songs into guitar, guitar songs, you know, and that's right. a lot of fun. It's great. And it it's is. easy to do. It's easy to do when you got Wadi and Postel, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say, because that could be challenging to sit down and dissect all those parts. Yeah. It would be challenging or it would be the easiest thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we would just fall right into it, you know. And that's what it did. We just fell right into it. Yeah. And bro, you sing your ass off, man. Oh, thank I you. love the fact that you're the front man. I mean, I don't want to take away from the other, but you're, you're, you're doing your thing. And I love that. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I taught myself how to sing my own material, you know. Okay. It took, took a while. Um, one of the things I did for you singers out there, Arnold McCuller, James's great uh, uh, harmony singer who's been with James for years and years and years, has an app. And the app is called, what the hell is it called? Uh, Vocal Ease is what it's called. Uh, and it's a terrific way to, uh, it's vocal lessons, vocal warm-ups. And uh, I started hitting that real hard. Uh, right after we finished the Troubadour reunion tour, I got this app and I was I started doing it all the time in the car, all, you know, and it helped me improve my voice and got me more in tune. And then I would just um, take my electric guitar, this I was living in the country at the time, in Connecticut, so I could pound away and make as much noise as I wanted. Mm. And I would just sing along with myself and sing my tunes, you know. And I got better and better at it. And you said this was after the Troubadour reunion tour? That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So this was circa when you started working on your Vokes? 2010. 20, okay. I played gigs before then, but I really started getting serious about learning how to sing my own material. And, you know, again, it's, it's performing my own tunes. Like, you know, nobody wants to hear Randy Newman sing Oh Danny Boy, you know. He, but he sings his own songs perfectly, you know. You know, would you call him a great singer? Of course not, you know, but, but he's, he performs his own tunes exactly the way you want. 
And I feel I'm like that too. I'm not, not in the same world as Randy Newman as a writer, but uh, I feel I can perform my own tunes. You know, can I sing opera? Fuck no. <laughs> Frank Sinatra, no, I but I can perform the songs I wrote. I love that. And see, a lot of people need to hear that. So again, they can relate and understand, wow, I'm not alone. You have yeah. to find your voice and be able to really feel comfortable in your own skin. That's right, yes. And your voice is, is your voice is melded, uh, is molded, I should say, by the songs you write and, and vice versa. And the songs you write are also uh, molded by what your, your, uh, your, your vocal style and your vocal limitations too. Hmm. You know, I think Philip Roth said, uh, your style is based on what you can't do. And uh, that's an interesting thing to say. That's right. From a genius like him. So uh, if he feels that way, then I got no problem feeling that way also. My style is based on what I can't or don't do. You know? That's beautiful. So again, you're flipping it. You're not looking at, it, looking at that as a negative. You're taking it and making it a positive. Well, I don't have the chops to do this, so I'm going to do this. You're right. Yeah. You have to find, find what works for you. And what yeah. I would say, find what works for you as a singer, find what keys work for you. What are, what are your money notes? What's your highest note? What vowels do you use to get that high note? All that stuff. And it comes to you. It's not, you know, you don't have to go to college to learn it, but it's just, you know, necessity. It's all based on necessity. Yeah. Right. The mother of invention. Yeah. 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 I love that. All right. So look, you've made this beautiful career. You admittedly said, you know, ups and downs has all this stuff, but you wouldn't trade it for the world. You didn't have a plan B, right? No. no. Did you ever think consciously, oh, wow, I'm a professional musician or no, you're just going through life and it's just happening. That's right. I was going through life and it's happening. I, I never patted myself on the back as saying I'm a professional musician or anything like that. I'm not, you know, I'm not a careerist. I didn't think in terms of a career. I think yeah. let's have some, let's have some fun, man. Let's yeah. get together and have a ball, you know. To me, that that's what it was all about. Yeah. You know? I mean, I do this to avoid work. <laughs> you know, it is fun. I agree. I agree. I do this because I love it because it's fun. I, you know. But then you end up building this beautiful body of work, and it becomes, you know, a, a legacy, a, a, a legacy of a career, really. Right. Yes. You know? So any memorable moments. I mean, I know you've had so many memorable moments with fun out on the road or in the studio with the different artists and people you've worked with, but anything that comes to mind, say, oh man, this was really cool. Or, oh man, you know, it's too many stuff, you know, <laughs> so there's, there's an awful lot of it, you know, I can, I guess I can tell you some highlights of like, you know, the running on empty tour with Jackson was fabulous. It was great. We had a okay. Long, playing his songs every night was wonderful, but also, you know, playing with Linda Ronstadt, I toured with her for two or three years and and just getting on stage and listening to that voice every night, unbelievable, unbelievable. Man, she's you know, in a class by herself. I've never anything like her ever from anyone. Wow. But also, uh, uh, you know, James, playing James's song. Every song is great. Every song is beautiful. And I'm playing with Russ and Lee, so you can't go wrong. You just, no. You just, it just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just good, you know, all the time. And you guys cut a lot of the records and then you're playing a lot of the songs, so it's that, it's that family vibe, right? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. The last time we did was the Troubadour Reunion Tour, which is James and Carol and Russ Lee and myself and Robbie Condor and some background singers, some really great background singers that work with James all the time. Yeah. And we went out there and, man, we loved every minute of it, you know. Right. I remember Leland saying, man, can we just do this forever? Right. Uh, <laughs> we, we all felt that way. It was just an absolute joy. We hit that stage, on, I'll never forget the feeling. I, I wish I could describe it, but I can't. But it's a feeling like I'm home. You know, I'm home with my people. 
So it's just a beautiful, beautiful, incredible feeling. Yeah, That's it, a great it, way of describing it. Towards the end of the show, they play You Got a Friend. You can look at everyone's crying. You know? <laughs> I'm, I'm laughing my head because I think it's so beautiful. And what I'm looking at is so absolutely beautiful. Mothers and daughters, married couples, they're holding each other's hand. I mean, that's what it's about, man. That's why, that's why you do this, is to get them going. That's get them to feel. of humanity. Yeah. yeah, to remind them of their own humanity and their own feeling, that, and the love they've had and, and the sorrow too, all of it. That's what this is for. Yeah. Yeah, you don't ever forget that. It ain't about you. It's about them. You know, man. Thank you. One of my last questions was, uh, you know, any words of wisdom? But you've been laying down so much wisdom this whole time, <laughs> you know. And what you just ended with right there to remind everybody: this isn't, this isn't about us. Uh, it's about the message, right? Yes. Right. Right. Reminding them to feel. Right. The audience and the people that love music to feel, and that they do feel, and, and that you know. The life is beautiful, or it can be beautiful. And, uh, you know, that's what music is for, and that's what it's always been for. Amen. And it's not a competition, right? Somehow or another, uh, you know, so much technology has turned music into a competition of sorts. Well, I'll tell you what, no matter how badass you think you are, there's somebody more badass than you, babe. Well, you hit it on the head, man, yeah. So don't start patting yourself on the back. I don't give a fuck who you are. Amen. Because somebody will roast you in a second, you know. So uh, all musicians should remember that, especially guitar players. <laughs> That's right. Oh, dude, I feel the same way. I get crushed every day. If I look at YouTube too much, I'm like, ah, oh, this is crazy. It's depressing me. There's so many great players. It's like, come on. Mm-hmm. You know, you are they great? Are they great? Or are they just sitting in their bedroom? Just know, noodling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> What's great? You know, I think great is when you get a bunch of guys together and they play music. That's great. Yes. Too, you know. That's the essence of, of music. Sitting in your bedroom, learning how to play the fastest anyone ever played is, to me, it's useless. You know? Yeah. You just maybe, said maybe it's, you know, maybe it's not useless, but to me, it's useless. You just said it. I call it musical masturbation all the time, and you just said it. It's jacking off. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love that, man. I love that East Coast honesty. There it is, baby. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Man. All right. I don't want to keep you too long, so let's wrap this up. Do you mind if I ask you a couple just fun questions out of the blue? You can ask me anything you want. All right, rapid fire. What's your favorite food? The favorite food? Bacon and eggs. Bacon and eggs. All right, mm-hmm. all right. Since you're a New Yorker, do you mm-hmm. feel like you can get a good pizza pie out here? And if so, where? No. No. <laughs> Got to go to Joe's on 14th Street and 3rd Avenue. If you want a good slice of pizza. There you go. I just ordered from there. They're sending me one. Yeah. They, they ship it? There's something called Gold Belly. It's a uh, company that ships food from New York all over the world. And they're sending me a frozen Joe's pizza, Joe's cheese pie. Oh, mm-hmm. come on. All right. Yeah. See, man, you just taught me something so va- I didn't even know that. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Favorite yeah, you ask Wadi that question. Wadi is the pizza expert. He'll tell you, he actually has found a couple of pizza joints here, obscure pizza joints. They says are pretty good. Okay. And they're close. Okay. But the real, real deal, you got to go to New York. You got to go back home. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. Favorite libation? Favorite libation? Um, uh, Grey Goose Vodka Martini. Ooh, love it. Dirty? What? Yeah? No, no, not dirty. No, no. Regular? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Favorite sport? Are you a sports guy? Not really, no. Um, yeah, me neither. I'm not, I'm not really a sports guy, but I guess I'd have to say baseball. Mm-hmm. Okay. Was it the Yankees then? Actually, I remember the Brooklyn Dodgers. I actually went amazingly, got to see the Brooklyn Dodgers at Evans Field. My father's with me. That's cool. Seven or eight years old. 
That's and very they were like the Beatles of baseball. That's you right. Know. Wow. Wow. Oh, how do you, the Yanks, yeah. I love that. I love that. How do you like to spend your free time? I don't have any free, you know, <laughs> I either don't have any free time or it's all free time. It's Because like, yeah. <laughs> you're always making music. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, I play the guitar. I, you know, I'm not, you know, watch movies. Now I just watch movies on TV because we can't go to the theater. I hang out with my beautiful girlfriend. I, I uh, you know, play guitar all the time. Love you know, I, I go out and run, I work out, exercise, you know. Uh, so that, that's it, basically, you know. And I read a lot. You know, I've always read a lot. So oh, that's, that's great, because that's one of my questions. What are you reading at the time? Or is there anything in particular that you... All right, my favorite, well, among my favorite authors right now is this guy, Michael Winslow. Don Winslow, I'm sorry. Who's one of the great, great crime writers ever. Gotcha. I don't, I'm not somebody who reads a lot of crime, but this guy is phenomenal. He's one of the best American writers writing right now. Other than that, Larry McMurtry, Philip Roth, uh, cats like that. I also love P.G. Woodhouse. Jeeves, those books are beautifully written, fantastically written. Very you know, cool. Dickens, uh, you know, uh, James Elroy. Uh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. You're vast. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So how about right now? Are you streaming anything, TVs or shows that you really dig in? Yeah, uh, Billions is great. Isn't it? Yeah, it's really great. Yeah. Uh, Penny, the, the current uh, version of uh, the current edition of, of Penny Dreadful is great. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to watch because it's so fucking weird and dark, but uh, yeah, out there, yeah. So beautifully done. It's extraordinarily done. Really, really terrific. Uh, yeah. So I love that. There's, there's a lot of great stuff, you know, uh, 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 that's coming out now that's being streamed, you know. Something called Prisoners of War, which is an Israeli series that. Um, Homeland was based on the show Homeland. I followed that show and it was on. That was a great series, yeah. Yeah. Ray Donovan, if it ever comes back, was one of my favorite shows. Another good one. That's right, right. A little good taste of the East Coast on Ray Donovan there. Yeah. Right, yeah. Very cool, man. Hey, when when you could go out and shop, did you prefer to go out brick and mortar or did you just order your shit online and have it sent to you? Uh, well, now everything is uh, having seven cities, but yeah. I prefer to go into stores and look at look at stuff. And, you know, it's oh, cool, man. You know? Yeah, yeah I, I like to go shopping. Yeah, me and my girlfriend loved used to love to go shopping. You know, right? It'll um, come back. It'll come back. Yeah, I hope so. Man. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. Mm-hmm. Look, you had so many amazing collaborations, and you know, over your career, is there any one dream collaboration that perhaps hasn't happened yet, or you would love to happen, or, or you're sad that you know oh, the person's yeah. gone, or? If you're talking about people I, uh, I would I would have loved to play with, you know, there's so many. I wish I could have played with Muddy Waters. And, you know, yeah. Jeez, uh, I, I don't know. I wish I could have played with Miles Davis, you know. Right. Even though I would have lasted 10 minutes or less with Miles Davis. <laughs> you know, uh, I don't know, man. There's, there's, there's yeah. so many people, you know, that, that I loved, you know. Yeah. It, that's a really difficult question. Right, 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 right. And I, but I did get to play with a lot of my heroes and people that I you know, looked up to my whole life. So I was lucky. And then I got to play with a lot of, you know, major, major talent and major important people. Cause you know, I was like, we all have played with, we've all between all of us in our band, we played with everybody, man. Everybody, right. every genius of the last century we played with one of us did or all of us, you know, and that is not an exaggeration. That no, it isn't. 100% accurate. That is just a fucking fact. That's you know? right. It just is, you know, I love it, man. Hey, look, light at the end of the tunnel. What would you say to young people coming up? You know, any, what do you think? Well, you know, music belongs to people. You've got to really, really love it. And I mean, it's, you've got to be all in, yeah. you know, 
uh, to, to even consider any kind of a career in music. If you can do anything else, do that. You know, I'm not kidding. Do, you know, don't, you know, anything else you can do, any other instruments you have, do that because it's a rough, rough game. And it ain't like it used to be where there was, there was a lot of gigs for everybody at one time. Now it's very rare. Uh, you know, what, what advice would I give is I learn everything you can, you know, because you're going to have to know everything. And don't just learn guitar or music instrument, learn Pro Tools, learn social media, learn, uh, you know, just every, every aspect. You know, I used to know how to, I used to be able to read pretty well when I was, you know, because I was studying guitar when I was a kid. I studied classical guitar for a while, I studied jazz guitar, and, you know, and I could sight read pretty well. But once I started doing sessions, I was never called on to read anything, to read music. I was, I was asked to be there just to, to be me, to play, to make up my own guitar part. That's why they would, that's why they would call me. And that's every gig I've ever gotten, I was supposed to make up stuff, you know, make up my own thing. Speaking um, of which, I heard you talk about It's Too Late, the It's Too Late solo with Carol King, how you uh, said you just played it on the floor. You're out there cutting live, yeah. right? And they were mm -hmm. like, hey, take a solo. Bam. Right. Carol said, play a solo here. You know, that was it. And I knew that you know, the, 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 the mood was kind of dark and sentimental and minor key. So I played something accordingly to that. But it was a lot. That was one of three, three tracks we cut that day. I remember you saying you were doing two or three songs a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And but I loved how you start the solo, or it might be like a little musical interlude. You're you're echoing the melody, but then you go into some you know soulful little nice passages after that, and it all blends together beautifully. Yeah, it does. It does. I'm glad I didn't know that it was going to be the huge hit that it was because I would you know I would have shit my pants. You know, <laughs> you know, oh, you know, this 10 million, 20 million people are going to hear this. Oh my god! Right. I just went, oh okay, here we go. Yeah. And uh, then, uh, you know, for, for years after that, anytime I go into a pharmacy or, a, or a, you know, a supermarket, I hear that song and, my, and that soul. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Go figure. Man, Cooch, I am so grateful that you Thank joined you. us here in The Career Musician. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Thank you so much. One day when all this COVID stuff is over, can I take you to lunch? <laughs> I'd love that. Sure, you bet, pal. That would Absolutely. be awesome. Absolutely. All right, man. Okay, thanks so much for the interest. I'm, you know, this is very pleasurable. Absolutely. And thank you. Great. You're going to love Rod. You're going to talk to him tomorrow. I can't wait. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think we're going to get Steve as well. So Perfect. Great. I hope so. Yeah, he's got a whole other story. He's a very talented fellow, as you'll hear. Great, man. Awesome. Thank you so much, my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, man. Okay. Have a good life. All right. You you too. <laughs> hope to see you soon. Subscribe to The Career Musician on Apple Podcasts. In the music industry, there are so many avenues to travel. Join host Nomad as he dives into the crazy world of entertainment, going behind the scenes to gain insider knowledge of how to maintain a healthy career in the music business. Follow The Career Musician at Facebook, Instagram, and sign up for The Career Musician newsletter at thecareermusician.com. Help us continue to provide you with new and engaging content by getting our ratings up. Please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Add The Career Musician to your Spotify playlist today. Being a career musician is more than just gigs and sessions. Are you a career musician? Find out on The Career Musician Podcast, streaming everywhere.
I'm just a nomad, nowhere man Writing the songs in this one-man band A nomad Hey, this is Nomad, host and creator of the Career Musician Podcast, and I am thoroughly stoked to be an official member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Pantheon Podcast Network is the first of its kind as an all-music-based podcast collective. Please be sure to check us out at pantheonpodcast.com for more info. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.